All right, today is uh, Sunday, August 2nd. I'm here with Keith Godin. Is that how you pronounce your last name, Keith? Let's go Godin. Godin, that's what I figured, Louisiana. Yep. So you're gonna have the uh, the French accent uh, to it. So uh, thank you for joining us on Untangling. How's your day going so far? Going great. Beautiful outside here doing a podcast. Pretty good Sunday. Nice. Uh, the Untangling uh, audience, thanks you for taking time out of your day to join us. And this is going to be a very interesting podcast because as we get into your career, which is your uh, working with autonomous vehicles, is that correct? So I've done yeah, quite a bit of work with autonomous vehicles relating to insurance, connected car. Now I'm diversifying a bit, but we can get into that a little bit later. Perfect. Okay. So a little bit of background on uh, how Keith and I met. So Keith and I met because both of our wives are uh, professors at uh, Illinois State. Uh, we have a lot in common because I lived in Las Vegas and uh, you used to live in LA. Is that correct? It is. Yep. Kind of bounced around a bit. I can't wait for that part of the segment, LA. <laughs> a lot of fun out there. So uh, Keith, a little bit about yourself. So where were you born? Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I, I grew up in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Lived there all through high school. Um, graduated from LSU. Then from there, kind of started the, 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 the nomad lifestyle a bit. But I mean, I still consider, you know, Louisiana home to a degree. Probably will never live there again. Yep. Or if I do, won't be for a long time. But when you grow up somewhere, it's still, it's still kind of home to you. So yeah, diehard LSU football fan, LSU everything. But yeah, then from from uh, from Baton Rouge, went and moved up to the, the New York era for a while, lived in Hoboken, New Jersey. Was up there for about five or six years, did grad school up in New Jersey, back down to New Orleans post-Katrina, got involved in the film industry there, doing some tax credit and, and budgeting work for the film industry. Okay. Then bounced from New Orleans to Los Angeles. Okay. As everybody does in that industry. Met my now wife in Los Angeles. And then we were out there for geez, six or seven years. And then about eight years ago, yeah, eight years ago this summer, made the trek to, to central Illinois. And you've been happy ever since, right? You know what? Uh, what, what I would say we survived the first winter. Yeah. When we realized, okay, humans can survive when it's 20 below zero. Now we're good. First winter was a little little uh, touch and go for, for a bit. That's so funny you say that because, you know, my first winter here, I'll never forget. I don't think it stopped snowing. And at that time, I didn't have a um, snowblower. So it's all physical labor. And I said, I've never seen snow like this. And this is somebody coming from Boston. So um, interesting story about Hoboken as well. Never heard of it. Okay, even though I grew up on the East Coast yeah. until I actually had to go to training for pharmaceutical out in Hoboken. When I was there, I truly believe, I think they were giving houses away. Now the houses are more expensive than living in Manhattan. So a lot has changed yeah. in Hoboken since you left. Yeah, actually, I mean, people forget years ago, Hoboken was that, that gritty shipping town kind of mafia run. That was Frank Sinatra's hometown. Correct. So thinking about what the mob was back in the 50s, kind of that gritty look. The, the little apartment that I owned, you know, 20 years ago, I couldn't afford it now. It's amazing. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So those apartments, forget it. It overlooks New York City and prime real estate. So huge LSU fan. Um, they had a great year last year 
And we'll talk about COVID later on in the podcast on how it's going to impact, you know, this season. But with LSU, you live and die by LSU. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, Parents went there, season tickets. I mean, the the high school I went to was on the same road as LSU, you know, four minutes up the road. Amazing. Uh, A lot of legends went through there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, people, if you've never lived in a, in a town, and there's a few towns like that, I'm, I'm guessing like South Bend, Indiana, probably Athens, Georgia, these towns where you don't have a pro team, people live and die by that major college team. People that didn't go to school there, it doesn't matter. It and, supersedes everything. Yeah, and you're very fortunate because you grew up down the street from a powerhouse. And a lot of times people don't experience that even though they are on a college campus. Right. You know, so... Great year last year for LSU. I have a few friends who are huge Alabama fans, and I'm telling you, it is it's a battle. It's a, yeah. it's tough. And uh, personally, I just like to see great football. I'm a big Boston College fan, and they've fallen off the map since those Notre Dame games. So I, you know, I'll watch LSU. I'll watch Alabama. It's just great football. And do you stay in touch where with what people are doing on the next level, like the NFL at all, with some of yeah. the LSU players? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm probably so fanatical about LSU fandom. I don't even have a. I mean, I like when the Saints win, but I don't live and die by the Saints. I'm actually more focused on what are the LSU guys doing in the pros, correct, than I am with the Saints. And it's interesting. So LSU won the championship this year, and Tyron Matthew won a championship Super Bowl. That's right. Which a lot of people don't know. And he's actually, hands down, probably my favorite LSU player. So who's your favorite LSU player? Because I know you go way back with some of these players. Yeah, so I, and that's funny. So in, in terms of the recent players, it's it's Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew. In my basement, I have a, a signed autographed Tyron Matthew jersey yep. hanging on the wall in the basement. I've seen it, so it's legit. Yeah, yep. because he, he came in, you know, he wasn't highly recruited. He came in, you know, 5'9", 165 pounds as a freshman. Yep. Like, who is this kid? You know, like, what can he do? He's too little. He can't tackle. He can't hit. He just made plays. He was an underdog that always came through making plays. If you go back, a, you know, a bit longer, there was a, a running back that played there back in the early 80s. His name was Dalton Hilliard. Okay. He played in the pros for a while for the Saints, had a few thousand-yard seasons. But going way back, that was my favorite guy, Dalton Hilliard. He was a bowling ball of a human. So, kind of a side story. My uncle was a team doctor for the Saints for a while in the late 80s. Okay. Back when Dalton Hilliard played for him. They said for Dalton Hilliard's football pants, they had to get them specially made because each thigh okay. was bigger than his waist. That's <laughs> so, the, the guy so, how do you tackle somebody like massive, that? He was a human bowling ball with yep. massive legs that they had to get special pants for him. That's amazing. I mean, if you're going to uh, you know, say somebody like that, you're clearly a fan because the average listener has never heard you know, of uh, Hilliard probably till this uh, yeah, I mean, uh, episode. So that's name, a true LSU flame. Right, it's, that's going back way back in the day, probably showing my age a little bit. Amazing. So you grew up in uh, Baton Rouge, yep. Louisiana. Okay. You attend LSU. And so what did you uh, study at LSU? Yeah, I was a business management undergrad. Um, Got to be honest, back in that time period, it was take the classes, get a degree, get out. Exactly. P- people were not nearly as, I'd say, hyper-focused as the world is now. Correct. And you had to throw partying in there, too. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I worked to... There's an area at LSU called Tigerland, where all the bars were. Okay. There's probably, you know, you walk to 10 or 15 bars in this one little area. I worked at a bar through college. Okay. Then you get your free beer 
I mean, sold pizza and chicken wings. Didn't yep. get free pizza and wings. <laughs> that's it. So, I mean, you know, that's that's what it was. It was a good time. That's amazing. So, you're studying business at LSU, okay? And you decide what's your first job after you graduate. Did you stay in, you know, the bar business? What's your first job after you graduate from LSU? Yeah, so when I graduated, you know, I actually stayed working in the bar for a little bit just because it was a pay cut to take a... I mean, I'm doing an air quote here, a real job. Correct, because um, sometimes with the bars, you could make a little bit of money in some extra ways. Yep. Whereas with a job, the government's going to take a good portion of it. So yeah, that's reality. Exactly. exactly. So once yeah. I decided, oh, I have to put on my big boy pants and, and get a real job. Not that working in bars on a real job, I knew that wasn't sustainable for me. I jumped in as a low-level, entry-level um, buyer trainee for a pipe fabrication company so down in that part of the country the oil industry is big so most people either work for oil or petrochemical or refineries or pipe yards it's just what you do you also worked for several years for a, a large company down there uh buying pipe carbon steel and stainless steel pipe you make good money doing that i mean it was okay okay it I mean for there, it afforded a decent quality of living. Correct. Things were, yep. weren't that expensive. But and you're learning the business. Yeah. Right? So that goes hand in hand with your degree? Yep. Learning how to be an adult. Correct. I mean, more importantly, you know. Amazing. You, Dave, you have to be at work, 7.45, 8 o'clock. You have to understand how to work with professionals that know a lot more than you do. Mm -hmm. You have to learn how to be humble. Correct. To that you don't know everything. It's a tough adjustment right yeah. out of college. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big dose of, of humility that, that people need. That's exactly it. And so you end up in Hoboken, New Jersey to get your master's and you attend Seton Hall. Is that correct? It is, yep. And um, that's a great school. In South Orange, New Jersey. Yes, yeah, so I lived in Hoboken with take the train out to, to South Orange, then walk from the train station to class. So it was, yeah, so I did um, my, my MBA out at Seton Hall. It was a bit more focused at this point. I'd been working for several years. I realized, Correct. you know, I, I think I want to explore the world, see a bit more. Correct. So actually I did um, an MBA where I did a, a double major in, in finance, but also sports management. Cause I was like, oh, I wanna go near New York City and get involved in the sports industry. <laughs> So did that great experience. Like I said, really good school, um, challenging in a good way because mm -hmm. it was it was things that you cared about. Then you're a bit older, Correct. so you care about these things. So you welcome the challenge. And you brought a lot of experience into that MBA because yeah. instead of theories, here's what's going to happen when I approach the real world. You're like, no, here's what I saw happen, yep. and it's how to improve that. Absolutely, and you start to see what things. I mean, when you're 18 or 19 years old, I'm sure most of us, when you're sitting in classes. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's very theoretical. Correct. It doesn't mean a lot to you, but once you've worked for a few years, Correct. you kind of value that education a bit more. So looking back, almost people now do, what do they call it? That the year they take a break between high school graduation and college. Which is pretty smart. Yeah. Depending on different strokes yeah. for different folks, but if you, if you can afford it, uh, I can see the appeal for that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, bit, yeah. So I did um, finance and sports management at Seton Hall, worked for a couple little sports startups that went under because the nature of startups but i didn't have kids so may as well roll the dice and try things so i was up there for a bit and then got a call from a, a buddy in new orleans saying you know, in the wake of katrina saying hey we're the film industry down here is starting to pick up quite a bit correct and that's when in the uh, headlines you heard people like brad pitt yep. jennifer jolie they're going to be moving to new orleans if I remember correctly, because you know they want to get that industry up and running. Exactly. So you end up there during that boom. Yeah. In the so movie I went down industry. right in the kind of I'll say the front end of that boom. Um, so a buddy down there, they were 
had a little production company going and they wanted someone to come in and help them run kind of the books and the business side and kind of some of the accounting and budgeting for some of their productions. Okay. So then packed up and headed down to New Orleans post-Katrina. And did you work on any major movies that we might know of or you just... Yeah, I'd say be between there and then Los Angeles. And, and it's bad because I don't, I don't watch that many movies. That's yeah, a, yeah, which, which is a good thing. Them. I love movies, by the way, but not watching them might be a good thing. Yeah, so so to me, it, it truly was, this is my job, how do I do it well? How do I land my next job? Because once you get in, once you branch off to work in how most of the, the industry does, even though I'd worked for a Universal movie or a New Line Cinema, you weren't guaranteed your your employment beyond about eight months. So you, you, you'd have to work. And it's unionized, correct? If you move to Los Angeles, okay. which is why I moved, then you can get into to, to the union there. Okay. That's why I moved because I had to, had to do a certain number of hours in California to qualify. Got it. That's okay. That's moving. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, some of the ones you've... So, the first Thor, I worked on that one. Okay. Um, there's a movie called We Bought a Zoo. With, okay. Uh, with, yeah. With, uh, with Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yeah. That, that's right. I haven't seen it, but it's yeah. good to know you worked on that... Uh, on the uh, budgeting in regards to that yep. movie. So, so we, and we would work, you know, we were right there on set. So we, because we handled all the cash, we handled everything, okay. all the day-to-day -day expenses. So we had to understand, hey, if there is a big, you know, so we did, I worked on one of the, the, um, what's it called? I'm drawing a blank. So we bought a uh, yeah. zoo with uh, Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. Okay. You do the budgeting. Yeah. You're on set. Yeah. You get a chance to meet him. Yeah, we have to, because we handle their start paperwork. Anybody that comes in, that okay. is going to be paid. Okay. We have to meet them. We have to sign their stuff. And how is he as a person? Super nice. Um, Good guy. To the fact where, so Matt Damon's company helped finance the, the film. Okay. So he was in there very early before the actors were. So so anybody in the production or, or of the movie, if you work in the finance or accounting area, you're basically the first people there because you're setting the company up. You're creating the LLC. That's exactly you're getting it. getting everything going because okay. nothing can happen until there's money. Okay. To the point where Matt Damon walks in, of course, we know who Matt Damon is. Even though I don't watch movies, I know who he is. Exactly. He's he's famous worldwide. Yeah. Exactly. But he, he was so humble to where he walked up and he's like, hey, my name's my name's Matt. You know, we're helping, <laughs> you know, run this. You need anything? You know, here's, here's our number. Give us a call. Let's know how everything's going. He didn't assume we know who he is. He didn't try to say, I'm Matt Damon. I'm the big actor. He was just very matter of fact and offering and curious like how can he help nice i'm a big matt damon fan he's from boston you know what i mean so always been a big supporter of this and it's always good to hear the people who deal with some of these celebrities on who the real celebrity is so that's actually just really good feedback okay so you're in the movie industry yep. okay and now what are you thinking of your next move what happens before you get to central illinois Charles, I was thinking of how I'm gonna pay for my next half hour. <laughs> it, was, it was, look, keep in mind, this is yep. a long time ago. Yep. You know, don't have any kids. So, that, so once I've realized, hey, if you wanna get into the good pension yep. and retirement and the really good health insurance, yep. you have to move to California to do your hours there. Correct. So I've packed up, moved out there. Yes. If you're in a place where it's beautiful weather, 12 months out of the year or yep. 11 months, yep. June's not so great, but the rest of the year is, and you even manage to get a network where you can get stable jobs and kind of create your own three or four week breaks whenever you want them. You're not thinking too far ahead at that point. That's it. Yeah. You're yeah. worried about the next day. You're worried about rent yeah. the next month. And uh, that's a great point because that's literally, you're just trying to make it. So you end up leaving California 
you end up in central Illinois. Once you get to central Illinois, you end up at a company, State Farm, correct? Yes. And how long were you at State Farm for? Almost about five and a half, six years. Five and a half, six years. And what position do you start off at, at State Farm? Yeah, so when we moved to central Illinois, um, so we moved here, my wife landed a, a really good job at Illinois State University mm -hmm. as a professor. So my approach was like, if you can find a, a professor, a tenure track professor job in your specialty, yep. just take it. Mm -hmm and I'll figure it out wherever you land. Correct. So I can be a lot more flexible as a business major than mm -hmm. a professor can. So I sat at the Starbucks here in town probably for the first two and a half months we were here, just sending out resumes. I probably sent out 50 to 75 resumes okay. at least between, Correct. you know, State Farm, there's a, there's kind of a country financial, there's a, uni a couple of universities here in town. I applied to every major employer just any, multiple times. That's it. Anybody willing to just give me an interview? Yeah, just give I'll me an interview up. and I'll figure it okay, out. Okay, got it. So, yeah. I think I was owed for my first like 65 because mm -hmm. I don't know anybody that works for any of the companies here. Correct. I don't know anybody in town. Yep. I don't have any connections. Yep. So you're just sitting there grinding. So that's I'd, it. I treat like a job. I'd get up, I go sit at Starbucks at a yep. certain time, and I set my clock. I'm, I'm going to do applications for the next four hours. That's it. And that's what you do. That's it. And you land at State Farm. Yeah, which is, I mean, keep in mind, that's a, it's the largest insurer in the country. So I was like, correct. You made it. I went in. It's like whatever offer they give, you're taking. I'm gonna accept that's it. Like, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't tell them that. That's it. And the internet, that's, that's that'd be a bad play on my. Correct. Part, that's but, not but, the best way to negotiate. You know, <laughs> the truth was, if an offer comes, I'm accepting. That's it. And yeah. so it's a great company. You get in there. You're learning about the insurance business, mm -hmm. and State Farm focuses more on auto. I know they had a health insurance division. They kind of like, you know, dissolve that. Yep. And it's all auto insurance based. So you get into that line of work, you ride through the rankings and autonomous vehicles comes up. Is that correct? Yeah, so so you know, State Farm, they're a big multi-line, but their their biggest line is still auto insurance. Correct. Um, so when I was at State Farm, I kind of navigated my way over to, a, to an innovation area there where you got to look at these, what's coming next in the world? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean for insurance? What does it mean for, for us as people? And yeah, so I, I was fortunate there to spend a lot of time working on autonomous vehicles um, back in the early days of ride sharing, car sharing, thinking about mm -hmm. Uber and Lyft. What does that mean for insurance companies and people? Connected cars, that means if there's two vehicles next to each other on the road and they're on the same frequency, can they connect to each other and send safety signals, things okay. of that nature. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so we got pretty deep into autonomous vehicles, been out to you know, ride in several between Stanford researchers up at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. So I've been riding in these things for, geez, five to seven years at this point. So to me, it's, it's kind of, I'm more of the impatient group of, come on, just make them real already. Correct. Um, but yeah, so I focus a lot on what does that mean for, for insurance? What does it mean for, for State Farm as a company? Um, and with that, right, so autonomous vehicles with State Farm, you need people who are driving to pay their premiums. Yep. How does that impact the insurance industry if this does, and it will, go live? Does it, is it negative? Because these cars still need to be insured, whether somebody's yep. driving it or not. So what does it do for that industry? It is a massive, massive, like, seismic shift. Because mm -hmm. if you think about, if a car can, can drive itself all yep. the time, Compared to today, you and I, you know, 
we drive around town, we're always in control. Mm -hmm. So that that insurance and the premium and the liability and the risk is all focused on you or I as a person. So if there's an accident, it's going to be one of the two humans is at fault. No questions asked. Correct. That's what happens. But now if you throw a self-driving car into the mix and you get an accident, mm -hmm. is it my fault for not taking control of the wheel quick enough? Is okay. it my fault for having the wrong safety settings? Okay. Is it the car maker's fault, like Ford or Toyota? Is Are they the ones that are liable? Or is it the provider of the technology in the car, like NVIDIA or you know Intel, whoever's providing that self-driving technology? Okay. Who's at fault there? Who, who, we don't know. Who's on the hook? Correct. Um, that's going to be a, a major evolving thing to figure out. Also, that if theoretically, once you get enough self-driving cars okay. on the road, the frequency of crashes should decrease greatly. Correct, theory. because it's all data-driven. It is. It's all. It's all kind of thinking about the way bees move in a swarm. They all kind of know what each other are doing. They're all coordinated. Correct. In theory, that's how cars should work. Okay. But if a crash does happen, probably be really expensive because of the uh, technology involved. Wow. So it's kind of like knowing who to sue is the question everybody wants to know. They want to get all these kinks ironed out before basically mass producing these because it's going to cause a lot of confusion. Yeah, absolutely. So wow. So and that's one of the things with Uber. So Uber is you know they're trucking along they have a great business along with lyft and then the pandemic happens and i always used to say why is uber so focused on autonomous vehicles why don't they just you know enhance their current business plan now with uber if they don't figure out a vaccine i'm not getting in a car with a stranger right so it's almost like they saw something we couldn't see yeah so it's probably something you saw seven years ago we couldn't see because a lot of people are like oh this is uh you know sci-fi far-fetched yep. this can't happen and I know it could happen because I've seen them. I see the money that their uh, companies are, you know, throwing into it. So it's kind of like a vision for the future yep. that a lot of people didn't see. So yeah, there's a there's a and don't quote me on this because mm -hmm. it, it may not be true. But there was a running joke for years, and allegedly the the former CEO of Uber, um, Travis Kalanick or Kalanick, the one that's now stepped down. Okay. Allegedly, he referred to the Uber drivers as the bags of meat in the seat. Right okay. to your point, because the quicker we can remove them from the equation, Correct. it becomes more affordable, safer, less liability, more consistent. No health insurance. Getting to that future. Exactly. Yeah. And everything else that comes with, you know, right. having somebody employed. Exactly. That's a great snapshot into the autonomous world. I know people have a lot of questions around it. So you're really giving us a glimpse into it. So from State Farm, you end up at Country. And what's your current title over at Country? Yeah, so I'm in the Enterprise Innovation. Okay. over there so we kind of took that mindset of rather than then focusing purely on hey where's the future of mobility going okay i've kind of taken that broader now to where still have a hand in that but also looking at for the insurance industry in a broader sense okay whether it's auto insurance or, or homeowners or, or life insurance for example what are new things coming what are new opportunities that we can maybe experiment with to try to figure out what the future could look like Wow, that's amazing. So you're literally helping shape the future uh, as we see it. So with that, Keith, you know, one of the things that happened is you have your career going. And, you know, I ask this on every podcast, uh, COVID hits. How does that impact your life? Because you used to commute to work, yep. not a bad commute. No. You get the news. Hey, this thing is serious. How does that impact you and your profession? Yeah, it was at first, you know, 
we didn't really realize the impact the first couple of weeks because we all thought it's a temporary blip. Yep. Make sure you bring your your files home that you need. We'll be back in in a few weeks. So I say initially when it hit, I was pretty unaffected because I assumed <laughs> we'll be back in in a few weeks isn't a big deal. But then that's when we learned that hey, this is gonna take a bit longer. This is a serious thing. It could mm-hmm. be weeks, months. It could be the rest of the calendar year for all we know at this point to when everybody's back in the office. It's had a couple big impacts. Um, number one, I would say, have really realized the value of those informal conversations that we can't have anymore. Okay. Crossing in the hall. If I'm thinking about something, I can't just pop in your office and in 90 seconds have a quick chat about it. Correct. Um, that's really changed how to be very, very intentional okay. in how we approach things. It's actually made us have to, to be much more focused in, in things we're working on. We've had to learn to say no a bit quicker to some things we could be working on. Correct. Just because we know that we don't have that same environment to organically have communication as we Correct. Used the to. body language. Yeah, the body mm-hmm. language, the, the kind of, if you're in a meeting with people and you're presenting a concept, you can read the room pretty quickly and get a sense for how it's going. You don't get that same feel Correct. on 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 Zoom. Um, so our pro- productivity has still been pretty good. But we've intentionally had to be a bit more focused in what we're working on. Got it. So I think it's it's actually hampered us a little bit on exploring some fringe things we usually want to play in. We'll we'll get back to it, but it's we've had to tighten the reins a little bit to keep stuff moving forward. It's unreal. No, you're exactly right. And um, same with you know our organization going virtual. Uh, the good news is there's a lot of things we're learning that should have been implemented probably from the start yeah. to simply maybe reduce something as simple as the flu that costs a lot of work hours uh, each year. So moving forward, I think there's a lot we could learn from this pandemic and hopefully it will improve you know, the uh, future of business. But yeah, COVID has definitely impacted all our lives. And so with your current position, I know you're extremely happy. You love what you're doing. Uh, what's your next move? Do you want to climb the corporate ladder? Um, is it, Hey, this industry is growing. You're part of it, you know, ride it through. What's your next move career wise? Uh, I would say maybe three, maybe five years down the road. Yeah. And this might sound a a little bit counterintuitive, but I've never been one to look at like the org chart, for example, and say, I want this title or, or, or this role. I've always really focused on, am I enjoying what I'm doing? And within that, how can I bring value to the company? That's a great point. You know, it's simply walking away, doing something new when this is no longer fun. Yeah. I've seen so many people where a title opens up, whether they're qualified, they're not qualified, they just want it on their resume. It still doesn't mean you can or cannot do the job. Right. You know, and I'm with you. There's no rush. You're having fun. Continue to have fun. There's no rush. And you're just in a great segment. You're in a growing part of the industry, when you look at the news, what you see is how many uh, industries like, will this be here tomorrow? And luckily you don't have to say, you know, uh, no to that question. So, you know, that concludes our uh, interview. Keith, I can't thank you enough for joining us on Untangling. I know there's gonna be a lot of questions about the world of autonomous vehicles. And thank you so much for your time. Of course, thanks Thanks for having me, Charles. All right.